Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Noah preached future judgment, and so did the Lord Jesus Christ while he was here on earth, and how both of them took what God the Father said to do seriously. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. Judgment is just around the corner, and it was time for them to do what you did. It takes faith to believe that the world was created. And I said, well, yes, it does. It also takes faith to believe in evolution. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in Genesis. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke so much about hell, really calling these images back when he said in Matthew 8, 12, he said, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, grinding down teeth for anguish and pain. Matthew 13, 41 through 42, it says, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all that offend and them that do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There should be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, 43 through 44. Hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Luke 16, 23 to 24. And in hell he lift up his eyes as the rich man. And being in torments, why was he in torments? Not only the pain, but also what he saw. What did he see? He saw Abraham afar off. He saw where he could have been. And then he cried. What did he say? He said, send Lazarus to put some water on the tip of his finger and cool my tongue. He said, I am tormented in this flame. Revelation 20 speaks about the devil being cast into fire and brimstone and tormented day and night forever and ever. In Revelation 20, 14 through 15, speaks about being cast, the death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, second death, and whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So what do we see here? God warning over and over and over again about hell. You can't read the Bible. You can't read the Bible without being warned of God's anger and hell as his judgment. Hell and its sufferings, though, are for us things not seen as yet. We don't know. And so it's like the flood and the destruction for Noah. But Noah took the warning of God to his heart, and he moved with fear. And that's what God wants us to do, is to take these warnings to our heart and move with fear. How? How do you know that Noah really did take these warnings to his heart and that he feared God's destruction? We know it because of what it says in Hebrews eleven seven when it says that Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The proof that Noah took God's warnings to heart was he was afraid, he moved with fear, and he prepared something to save others. You and I, we really take God's warnings to heart about hell. We'll move and prepare, move and prepare to saving, move, prepare to saving. Those words, moved, prepared to saving it's a great challenge for us in those words. Moved, he was warned, he was moved, he moved. He's looking for us to say, I'm going to move. I'm not going to be complacent about this. I'm going to move. And so what do we see? I mean, Noah being warned of God, and he moved with fear. So 
Why was he afraid? Because Noah was afraid for his family, that they should be saved. Noah was afraid for his relatives, his sons, that they should be saved, as other relatives. He was afraid for his friends. He was afraid for the people he just met in his life. Now, that's a picture. That's a picture of a man who walks with God, takes God seriously. And just like Noah, who was warned that anyone who's not saved, including family, relatives, friends, and people we just meet, is on the path to hell. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, from Hebrews 10.31. And Lord Jesus Christ said in in John 8, 24, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And how is it put in the Old Testament? Iniquity on his bones. In John 14, 6, what the Lord said, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. There is no other option. There is no other way to come to God except by him. So when we look at Noah, we say, that's the man I want to be. He's an example for us because he took those warnings of destruction very, very seriously. We can see Noah, we can imagine, you know, Noah just sitting there saying, now, who do I know that's lost? Noah could have said that. He could have sat down and said, asked himself a question. Who do I know that's lost? Let me make a list. I'm going to go talk to each one of them. I've got to go speak to each one. I'll do my best to do what I can to get them to be saved, but I'll make sure that I don't do nothing. I'll do something. And I'll make sure I also do something that, make sure that I don't do something that invalidates my message of judgment. You know what that is? I'll tell you in a minute. There's a great picture for us that's like Noah of the making a list of who's lost. And you remember Oscar Schindler, and he made his list. It's called Schindler's List. Of all the Jewish people that he knew, he kind of went down, he's trying to sit there and remember this one and that one, and he saved them from the Nazi death camps by telling him he needed that worker for his factory. As a matter of fact, there was an Austrian who wrote a book called Schindler's Ark. But just imagine when he's sitting down there, Oscar Schindler's sitting down there, and he's writing his list, and he's trying to remember all of the Jewish people he knows, and he's writing them all down, and that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to do the same thing, make a list. We should have our Schindler's list. And when Oscar Schindler made his list, he wrote down each name of Jewish person, and he, he said, oh, it's a good thing I remembered Mr. Cohen. I almost forgot him. I just had a terrible thought that if I forgot to put Mr. Cohen down on the list, that maybe Mr. Cohen would have been carted off to Auschwitz. So he made his list. That's a great picture for us to make the list and to who we're going to warn. Make the list of every lost person we know with the purpose and the intention to get them saved as best we can. Because to bring to them the truth, there's salvation in no other name from Acts 4.12. There's none other name under heaven given whereby we must be saved. I have a, um, a receipt that we are going to put up in the Creation Museum. And the receipt is from Millions Testament Campaign. And it's a receipt for, they've given a half a million New Testaments to Jewish people in America, in Europe, in Palestine, and um, other parts of the world. And it's a receipt for $5 to Lillian Knox. And it's about this big. And she gave the $5 so that Jewish people in those places could get New Testaments. And the date is August 1st, 1941, the time when they were being slaughtered. And she had a heart to do that. Why? Because she believed that there's salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
So Noah did that. He spoke with any lost person that he came in contact with. And God wants us to be like that. Take it seriously. But there's something that we can do that invalidates our message about hell. And you know what that is? To entertain, to tell, that's worse, to laugh at a joke about hell. When you laugh at a joke about hell, just like that, you invalidated everything that you're trying to say. Because the lost have a staked interest in getting us to invalidate taking God seriously on the subject of hell. And the lost successfully get us to invalidate our stand on hell when we laugh at a joke about hell. Have you heard the joke about the rabbi, the priest, the pastor, and how they went to hell? And, you know, and the lost look for us when they tell those kind of jokes. They look for us to laugh or smile. And the minute we do, the minute we do, they won. You don't realize there's a contest going on. They won. Hell is no joking matter. Whenever someone tells me a joke about hell, I think like I've told you before about Cheryl standing in front of that Japanese temple. I'm going to stand there like a corpse with rigor mortis, like that, no response. Just two weeks ago, I was in the desert, and I was speaking with a Jewish computer specialist, and he told me a joke about hell. And when he was finished, I just said, I'm sorry, I can't laugh about hell because I actually think a lot about the reality of hell. And as far as Noah goes, he wasn't going to laugh about any jokes about the flood. And I'm sure there were a lot of them at that time because he took God seriously and that God was going to condemn the world in this judgment. He took it seriously. What we see here is that in Hebrews 11.7, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. His family was his first priority to get saved. His first priority. That should be the way it is with us also. First ones on our list. After all, they have to tolerate listening to us because we're family. And everybody's got enough strange members in their family. So Noah brought his family And I don't know what it was about Noah that he was able to get his three sons. I've wondered about it. You know, how is it that Noah got nobody on the boat except for his three sons? You know, Noah's sons, they probably had friends who ridiculed Noah for building the ark. I mean, but Noah had the respect of his sons. We don't read anything in the scriptures that his sons walked with God. Just Noah walked with God. But they saw in Noah a man Dad was a man of integrity. Dad was a sincere man. Dad was wholehearted. And that must have spoken to his sons. And maybe when his sons heard others ridicule their father, they may have said, look, that's my father. That's my dad that's building that boat. And I think it's foolish too, but I've lived with my dad long enough, and I can tell you, he's a man who knows God. He's a man who lives with God, who walks with God. And I may not be as truthful as he is. I don't know God like he does. I don't know about this coming flood like he does, but I know my dad. And yeah, I'm going to get on the boat when dad says to get on the boat. That just speaks volumes to us that his three sons got on the boat of what kind of a man Noah was. The loudest sermon that a man can preach in his house is the way he lives. 
is when people look at him. When I first got married to my wife, and we went through some really tough, tough times. We did. I mean, I went from living in Bel Air, which is not exactly Logan Heights, but from Bel Air in Los Angeles to living on River Road in Cincinnati, which is worse than Logan Heights, and with no money. You know, for me, living in Bel Air, I thought money was a basic human right. You know, I, <laughs> and I was very upset. I was very upset. I mean, we had less than $100. And the people above us and below us and the side us, they beat their wives at night and the screaming and they were disabled. And it was just terrible, just awful place. But what I saw in her through all those situations was God was her reality. God was her reality. And she wasn't religious about it. That's what I saw. <laughs> and in her life, I heard the loudest sermon I could have ever heard. And just the resolute confidence that she had that God was going to take care of us. And when I finally came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, but I'll never admit this to her. But I'll tell you, I knew what I wanted. I wanted Cheryl's God. Give me Cheryl's God. That's what I wanted. Or else the way it was for Noah. His sons followed him into the ark because they knew Noah and they knew that their father, he walked with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the examples we have here of, Lord, men who got the victory like Noah over themselves, over their flesh, over their surroundings, over everybody who rejected God. And we thank you, Lord, that Noah walked with God and that you preserved that for us, Lord. And we hear your call this morning, Lord. We hear your calling to us and you're saying to us, If Noah walked with God, why can't you walk with God? And we hear that, Lord, and we want, with all of our hearts, to be like Noah. We want to walk with God in the midst of a God-rejecting society. And Lord, we want your care that Noah had for his family. Give us that care for our families. Lord, give us the care that will reach out to them. Give us the lives that will make them to put confidence in us and that will allow us to lead them to you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you also said that Noah took God seriously. And that reminds me of how you've always said the three cardinal rules for life are to take God seriously, don't make God mad, and make God happy. Now, how did Noah do all of these three things? Well, What we see that Noah did was that the first thing he did is he took God seriously. When God said, Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, but you found grace in my eyes. Noah, I want you to build an ark. And that's how God, that's how Noah took God seriously. He built the ark. He built the boat that God told him to build, that was taking God seriously. And when he went about and collected the materials and made his plans and started on this 120-year project and never gave up and never got sidetracked and went for the completion until it was finished, that was making God happy. And that was not making God mad. Very simple. You know, people today, they don't take God seriously. Just today, I went and saw my doctor, and I was telling my doctor, 
who did the ablation on the heart and and anyways and he was telling me about experiences and and I was explaining to him that you know, we were talking I says well you know we're we're all going to die and you know he smiles yes and I said but really what's important is what happens after we die. And he sort of smiles and laughs and says, come on, you're joking, right? You're going to tell a joke about, you know, what happens after you die. And then he kind of says, it really doesn't matter, is he? So it really doesn't matter. This is not taking God seriously. So what does it mean today to take God seriously? When God says in Hebrews 9.27, that we have an appointment. You know, at the end of my time, he says, all right, come back in six months. And so I go to the desk and his assistant there goes to make the appointment. And I know on this day, I have an appointment to come back with with this doctor, you see. Well, God says, he he says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. So what does it mean? It means that there's an appointment book also in heaven. And on that appointment, in that appointment book, and every day, every day in the appointment book, there's every moment of the day in the appointment book. And you know what's by each one? You know what's by those moments? People's names. People's names. This day, this time, this person. And they're all written and they're recorded down there. Why? Because it says here in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men. In other words, all men wants to die. And you know what's amazing about that appointment book? Each person's name only appears once in that book. Now, like the doctor who said, okay, your appointment was today. Now you're going to have another appointment. No, no, no. In God's appointment book, there's only one entry of a person's name. And that's all. For all the, the, the time that's down there, there's appointed unto men once to die. You don't get another appointment. You don't get another chance. Now, what happens when you die? It said, after this, the judgment, the judgment. In other words, after death, every person goes then to judgment. And there is a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And everybody who's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the judgment that was theirs was fell on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The judgment that they deserved, he took. He took. How do you know? Isaiah 53, it says that surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It says there, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. It says the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he bore the sin of many. So in other words, everybody who's in the Lamb's book of life has come to God and has said, Oh God, I take your lamb, the lamb of God, to be my sacrifice. I put my trust in the lamb of God so that when I die, I die like the hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And I'm coming to you now, trusting as I did on that day and as I, and as I continue to be loyal to him, to be devout to him, to not deny him before men. And I lived my life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, and therefore, and then when you, and so then written in the Lamb's book of life, the judgment fell on thee. 
Jehovah lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. That awful cup, love drank it up, left but the love for me. O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. That's the judgment that was taken by another. That's the in the stead of judgment. That's the picture of Abraham who was going to kill Isaac, and then God stopped his hand, lifted his eyes. He offered the ram in the stead of his son. And so this book of life, the Lamb book of life, could also be titled the in the stead of judgment, which was mine, fell on him. He was my sacrifice, not by birth, not because I was, not by the will of man, but from receiving him, as many as received him, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my God. When a person does that and says that, then the, the judgment that was his doesn't fall on him because what it says in Isaiah 53, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. But if a person says to God, no, I'll go my own way. The Lord Jesus Christ described the death of this person as dying in his sins. In other words, God so much wanted to remove the sins from that person by by the cross, by God's plan of salvation. But if a person resisted God and said, no, I want to live my own life, I will not have God to reign over me. I will not, I do not need another person to die for me. I'm a good person. I have no sin, etc., etc. All the lies that Satan uses to deceive people as he sweeps them into hell. If a person does that, then they die in their sins, and then they receive the due punishment for their deeds, the due rewards. God forbid that anybody should receive the due rewards for their deeds. And so, therefore, therefore that person is eternally conscious of his sins as he and of the judgment, the pain, the anguish, the grinding of the teeth and the gnashing and so forth. In hell, that's the judgment that he receives because he's outside of the Lamb, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to take God seriously? It means to take seriously that there's an appointment book that God has, and each one of our names is written in in there. And this is how God pleaded with Israel in Amos chapter 4, verse 12, where God says, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. How do we prepare to meet God? What does it mean to prepare to meet God? It means we go to the lawyer and we set up a trust fund so that we take provision for the taxes. It means that, you know, we put our house in order. No, no, no. Prepare to meet thy God means take God's preparation to meet thy God. What is God's preparation to meet thy God? Be saved from your sins. Have God's covering on you. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ so that the blood that was shed for you would count for you and you could be also eternally looking and saying, I put the blood on the doorpost of my heart, just like you commanded the Jewish people to put the blood 
God on the doorpost of their house because you said, oh God, that when you saw the blood, you would pass over them. And so I'm trusting you that when you see that I'm trusting in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll pass over me and you will not, you will not judge me. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's speaking also believers, believers as well. So to take God seriously is to realize that even as believers, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it says, so everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether good or bad. And so this is really referring to after you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to take God seriously is to realize that we're going to stand before him and give an account and is to be prepared to have a good account to give to him. Thank you for joining us today. Now, did you know Tom Cantor has written many materials, books, and resources? You can find them available on our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Now, there on our online bookstore, you'll find an incredible book that was written by Tom Cantor called Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People. This amazing book will help you to understand and reach lost Jewish people, as well as know your Bible doctrine better and contend for your faith with anyone you encounter. Now, with nearly 60 pages of questions and notes and helpful doctrinal answers that show the character, doctrine, and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as you've never seen it before, this book is one that you'll want to have a copy of. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or go to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Now, again, if you have a lost Jewish person that you want to reach, give us a call today at one 800 247-3051. We can help you to reach them with the Tom Cantor DVD and testimony booklet. Now, thank you so much for listening and join us again tomorrow at the same time.